Thank you for joining us for the program From Seats to Screens, How COVID-19 Will Change the Sports and Entertainment Industry. Our first speaker is Mark Owens, a partner at Barnes & Thornburg in Washington, D.C. In addition to his role as chair of the firm's finance restructuring and bankruptcy department, Mark is also chair of the firm's national motorsports team. Mark's passion for auto racing is manifest in his commitment to serving drivers, teams, sponsors, and industry constituents in the full array of commercial contract issues they face. Mark is also the current chair of the Terralex Sports and Entertainment Industry Sector team. Our next speaker is Amelia Lynch, a partner at Lander & Rogers in Australia. Amelia is head of the firm's sport and leisure group. She leads a strong team that advises a broad range of clients in the sport, leisure, and major events industries. Amelia advises sports organizations on legal, governance, risk management, and stakeholder relations. She works closely with board directors, CEOs, management and administrative staff, event operators, government, venue operators, lawyers, sporting clubs, athletes, consultants, and volunteers. Our next speaker is Marion Lingot, a partner at Fiducia Legal by Lamy in Lyon, France. She has experience in international law, including with issues in cinema and audiovisual law. She provides assistance to clients in international production companies and in particular foreign productions with a film, TV, or web shooting project in France. Well, uh, good morning or good afternoon to all, depending on where you're watching this uh, this session from. Uh, um, Today we have for you from the Sports and Entertainment uh, Practice uh, Group, um, a what I would call a global uh, a global presentation. So, uh, as, as you all can see, um, we have a very uh, geographical and practice area diverse uh, uh, group today. Um, and we're going to touch on sports and entertainment uh, issues uh, that we're seeing as a result of the current global pandemic. So, I'll start with um, kind of some just some topics um, for, for the panel. And we know that today um, and in the past, much of sports and entertainment requires, you know, physical closeness, fans and spectators. So the first question to the panel, uh, and I'll start with Marion, is how has COVID-19 changed the business model of sports or entertainment given this, given the current physical distancing and social distancing measures? You know, uh, today uh, we, for, for my uh, part, activity which is more the cinema we don't have any theaters anymore which can um, so uh, to to see the the films so the only way to have the authors and the performance being paid and having their creation being shown is to have an access to the media the digital media so today we are trying to really help how clients so producers to get an access to the platforms to the internet platforms so that is the main change it was it existed before but now it is a, a real issue and we have to help our client to to have the fair contracts in order for them to have their creation being shown and being paid at the end so it is a digital market which is now uh, the key issues and how we have to negotiate with them. So, 
Uh, Amelia, what are you seeing in your practice? Well, I think when the, the pandemic, the significance of the pandemic was first realised, many governing bodies cancelled events and, and seasons. Um, and they also similarly, um, from what Marianne was saying, were engaging with fans through virtual activity and digital platforms. Um, and, and that's still going on, but now also you can see the governing bodies starting to look ahead and see opportunity for recommencing. So in Australia, the Australian Football League um, our Australian rules and the National Rugby League, they're commencing their season over the next two weeks. That's involved working with state governments and federal governments, getting medical approvals, working with the player associations, clubs, venues, broadcasters, all to deliver matches without crowds. Um, and they're, they're the, the first uh, leagues in Australia to um, be in a position to do that. Cricket Australia today announced a full schedule of cricket over the summer. So obviously our, we're, we're coming up to our winter, so our summer will be at the end of the year. Um, we have a, a, an international, an ICC International Cricket T20 World Cup scheduled to, to be held in Australia later in the year. Uh, and there's, there's yet to be a decision um, to be made about that. And other governing bodies are still working through that process. They're deciding how best to proceed. Um, and I guess they're anticipating that even when restrictions uh, are lifted, how could they adapt their competitions? Um, how can they work through the government restrictions, which are changing so quickly, um, to be in a position to, to hold the best possible um, type of, of competition, whether that's with audiences or without? Um, I think at the moment they're really planning for, for all contingencies and trying to um, the right time to move forward with with those with the modified season or event mm -hmm. yeah and I, I would say that we're seeing the same thing in in, in the us and, and in my area in, in, in racing and and that is um the same thing as, as, as cinema or in, in sports uh, amenities you mentioned in australia and that is um you know looking at virtual online events um as far as I know, uh, NASCAR here in, in the U.S. was the first um, racing body to start racing. They started racing, I believe it was on May 17th or 18th um, with um, uh, no fans. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, as, as we know, in, in, in contract or in the negotiation and sponsorship world, there's there's a lot of criteria in contracts. You know you have, you know you have your your broadcast, you have your ratings, you have your seasons, you have your, um, you know championship uh, matches or games or events, and and all of that now is well, what do we do? Do we cancel some of these events? Do we shorten the season? What does that mean for broadcasting? You know and sponsors and, and things like that. And those are some things I know we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. But you know whether it's the virtual online events and trying to keep everybody engaged, or um, acceleration or expansion of esports um, of, of online lawn sports. Um, you know the, the comp ha still having competition without fans rather than having to uh, I guess rerun past interesting sporting events. Um, so that's, um, I think we're seeing a lot of the same, same here, especially when we have these sporting events, some of which can have a hundred thousand or more, or more people, um, you know, for would have been what, 103 or 104, four years of running the Indianapolis 500 here was supposed to be last weekend and, and it wasn't. And that's, I believe the single largest sporting event 
you know, attendance in the world of 300,000 plus people. And it's, you know, it's, it's something that's changing right now that's going to run in August. So, so one question I do have um, for, for, for Mary, and I'll start with you with the increased online you're seeing with the cinema, and certainly you have a lot of people, you know, watching cinema, et cetera, is have, have you found um, issues with broadband or internet accessibility and uh, bandwidth um, in your negotiations or is, is that expanding? Has that been an issue? Oh, that, that is an issue. It was an issue before, but now it is the main issue. We got issue for the negotiations of rights, for example, to know how the platform is working to show, for example, the films. So how the algorithm works, what are the references, how many views they got to calculate them the remuneration. Until now, we got really a very weak position towards all these companies because they are in a dominant position on this digital market. So it was very difficult to, to get this information. So there's uh, at least a little bit of transparency. And what we are facing today because of a coronavirus crisis, it is the fact that in Europe, uh, since all the operators which are on this market knew about all these issues, there were two directives, one concerning copyrights and related rights on the digital market, and the other one concerning audiovisual works on the digital market. And uh, all the member states have to uh, transpose these um, two directives uh, at the end of this year for the first one and next year for the second one. For example, in France, because of the coronavirus crisis, we decided to transpose it in the few months to, to come. Because we see that there is a problem for all the operators to get an access, a fair access on the digital market, to get fair closes for on the remuneration, the possibility to get an appropriate and proportional remuneration. Usually when you are facing a platform, they impose on you a lump sum. And you don't know how many views you get once your film is on the platforms. And we never got any information to make sure that your your, your film is on the first page because it's very interesting to, to know that during the coronavirus, so the, how do you say, lockdown? We were locked down, yes, that is the correct word. During the lockdowns, the uh, competition authority in France um, rendered a decision and compelled and condemned Google to have to enter fair negotiations with publishers. And during this inquiry, it was very interesting to see that if your work is not on the first page of a website, if your film is not on the first page of the Netflix uh, platform, you get no probability to have your film ever be used and shown by a consumer. So it is very important to be on the first page. The probability is that 
40-50% of the films on the first page will be really shown, will be used by the consumer. So all these um, elements of the negotiations are very important. And now because of the coronavirus crisis, in France, we decided to really impose all these obligations on the digital market. And it is not only the uh, organizations of IP rights, which are now so involved, it is the competition authority. And that it changed a little bit the way we worked before, because now we are take, speaking about uh, abuse of dominant position. So it's more, you know, it's, it's less political, maybe. <laughs> it's more, more business-like, but it is a business. And we are speaking about remuneration. So that is in this way that we are moving in Europe. So. Okay. Thank you, Marion. So, so instead of uh, fighting for the best uh, position in the supermarket or the best spot where your ad goes, now we're fighting for the first page of the internet or the... Uh, yeah, exactly. The yes, that is a key issue. Yeah. So, Amelia, are you seeing any similar issues in, in Australia or in your practices with, with issues of competition with bandwidth or first page, etc.? Uh, it's not really been the focus of the discussions in the industry. I think um, governing bodies had realised the potential um, of using those kind of platforms before all of this happened. It's quite different uh, depending on which, which sporting organisation you are. So, um, you know, the, the position of power, I guess, um, in terms of those negotiations is very different for the, the, the five biggest um, sport bodies across Australia than it is for those, um, you know, just as important but, but not as large um, sports that don't necessarily have the... The, the television broadcast, um, and, and so therefore they've they've needed to work differently in their relationships with um, the digital providers and platforms, and that that really had um, started to change over the last I'd say five years. Um, but I, I honestly think that uh, there's that it hasn't been the highest priority in the things that. That governing bodies are dealing with. Um, I think it's one of many contingency plans, but I, I think they're in Australia that the restrictions are, are lifting. Um, you know, it, the number of cases is very small, and uh, people in general, but certainly um, governing bodies, are starting to to hope for, anticipate for circumstances where. Um, there'll be less restrictions, they'll be able to, to deliver a product which is closer to what it used to be. So um, I think that's really where a lot of the focus is at the moment, but certainly um, in Australia that probably the digital activity and virtual activity has uh, been about keeping connected with the industry audience. Um, yeah, I think on, on, on the racing side in the US there was, for, before the before the pandemic there was you know, the initiatives to involve maybe younger generations of fans who are more focused on arguably more focused on um you know their, their phones or computers or online um from you know sports that you know a lot of times find you have large fan bases where you're actually going to the race and it's not just seeing the race it's it's what's you know 
associated with the race, you know, before the different events. And um, I think I think this has probably accelerated, you know, that that digital platform. And so I think what we're going to see, you know, at at the end of this, when, when things change, when things you know open back up, I think it's going to be different. Um, and I think we're going to have, you know, I think a lot of these um, online initiatives or virtual initiatives are going to continue to, uh, you know, to prosper, and then we'll have a, a, a kind of a different format. Uh, I think we're all going to see that in our in, in our areas. Um, so I guess with, with that, you know, we talked about, you know, what governing bodies have done. We talked about in, in, in cinema and, and, and internet. So what, um, and, um, maybe I'll start with you this time. What do you think the sport and entertainment sectors can do to help mitigate, uh, the economic impact? We know there's been a huge economic impact with, um, cancellations, um, for example, um, which, you know, has a, has a trickle down effect of different contracts and everything. So, so maybe what, what do you think, um, can be done to help mitigate, mitigate these issues? Uh, I think, yeah, sorry, sorry, Emilia. No, no, no. I think in Australia, there's probably two main focuses in that respect. So the first is getting sport and that's across professional sport, elite sport. So obviously um, Olympics is now in July, 2021. So um, elite athletes and community sport, recognizing that there's, a, there's an economic contribution from, from both, um, both types of sport and finding a way to get that back on. So particularly um, with community sport, you know, the, the governing bodies are really focused on um, on offering a, a, a way that they can conduct their competitions. That's that's absolutely partly about the economics, partly about um, you know the the revenue flow through that that goes to um, the different levels of governing bodies in Australia. We have a federated model for most of our sport organisations, so there's often tiered uh, revenue models where a clip of the ticket from community sport um, goes to the different levels of, of governing bodies. But it's also a really strong focus because of the community wellbeing benefits. You know, the, the contribution that um, getting the, the sport and entertainment sector operating again to be able to uh, provide the, the opportunity for people in the community to participate and, and get the mental health and wellbeing benefits from that, which in turn floated to broader community benefits and, and ultimately um, combine that economic contribution with the, the wellbeing contribution has been uh, really one of the biggest contributions that sport can make. Um, and, and it's been recognised by all levels of government in Australia. There's been a lot of uh, support from, from government, both across funding and resources, but also to work with governing bodies to find a way to facilitate the operation of, of competitions and events. Um, yes, they're modified, but um, it's challenging to work across the, so for the, the, uh, the Australian Football League and the National Rugby League, they've had to work with state governments uh, across, you know, multiple states and with the federal government. Each state has different levels of restrictions and different rules about um, what can be done. All, all the states at the moment have closed borders, uh, even within Australia. So. It's involved um, significant cooperation. Um, and I think it's really helped everybody see, um, all the stakeholders, what can be achieved with that level of, of cooperation, um, with that level of, of focus and working together, uh, which 
I don't really think has been seen before. Um, so I think that that's a really significant contribution. And then the other aspect is um, contingency planning. So looking forward at how um, some of the bigger events in Australia might be held in a modified way to contribute to economic impact. So one of um, our clients is the Victoria Racing Club and they run the Melbourne Cup Carnival here in Melbourne. Um, so that, that obviously um, is a significant sporting event in Australia, but also brings about a significant economic contribution to the city and the state. Um, so if um, the organisers of these events can find a way to have a modified version, um, then I think that'll also bring a, a, an economic benefit as well. Um, Amelia, do, do you see, are, are there various um, governing bodies um, working more, less, or the same together than you've seen in the past? Much more together. It's been really interesting because um, I don't think there was ever a governing body who actively did not want to work with others, did not want to work with their peers, but I think everyone was so, um, they had so many challenges on their plate, so many things to do, so many great um, products they wanted to promote and create and you know how programs they wanted to put in place that uh, it was difficult for anyone and I think this probably applies, uh, applies outside of sport as well but it's difficult for anyone to stop and prioritize working together um, but this pandemic has really meant that everybody's had to stop and it's really shifted the, the approach that's been taken so the governing bodies have worked really strongly together um, to lobby government, which is something that was really needed in Australia, but, but wasn't um, done as well as it could have been. Um, and also really to, to lead solutions, to, to be able to say to government, this is the solution, this is a way we can run this, or if you provide this amount of funding, this has been at state level, state government level and federal government level, then we can get these programs running, we can facilitate this kind of community sport with, in this manner. Um, and it's been a really powerful voice um, that probably hasn't occurred before now in the same way. Yeah, thank you. Um, Marion, what are you seeing in the, uh, with the cancellations and you said you're not having theaters anymore um, regarding health and mitigating economic impact? So there are different issues. Uh, the first for the uh, producers who uh, finished their film and who cannot have their film being on the screen as usual. So the uh, authority in charge of uh, what we call la chronologie des médias. So uh, it is the theatrical uh, release view. So I understand that is the English translation of this rule, which means that at the beginning, so the film can only be on the screen of the theaters and then maybe after four months on platforms, on video per demand or yes. So uh, usually it is how it works in order for all the operators to get their money on the film and to have the largest public for any film because you you are working so with Amelia on, on the sports issues and the very big advantage of the sports is that you have the fans. The public is already there. For a producer, so uh, it is a free market 
and there's already this meeting between someone who created something and possible public. And the theater doesn't exist anymore. For the present time, we don't think that it will reopen in the month to come. So um, that is why this authority said you can have a free access immediately to the platforms to be sure that your film will be exposed. So that is um, um, the first measure which was taken. It's a derogation, derogation of the rule, which normally applies. And for the rest, as I explained to you, the problem is today that you have negotiations between operators which have a very dominant position on the digital market and all the others who are weak uh, weak uh, on this market. And that is why, and that is very unusual, that the competitive authority decided to intervene. Now it's not only the authority in charge of the cinema, the film industry, which will take care of the way the negotiations will be dealt. We are now placing the issues on the competition field to make sure that all this unbalanced situation can be redressed in a way. That is a very, very complicated things to do because uh, uh, for example, so the, the government and it will be for the same for all the member states have imposed on the platforms some obligation to buy European films, to invest in European films, all these obligations which were known to all the uh, audiovisual operators except the platforms. So now it is really uh, a, main, uh, a main measure to be taken. So I would like to say that it, um, it changed a lot of things on the business market. And just to, uh, to give you an idea why it is so tense right now on this market in France and in the other member states. Each time that you wanted to see a, a movie on the theater, 50% of the price you paid helped to uh, help the film industry to invest in films coming from Europe or France, which are not standard films. And now we we got no revenue at all. That is why uh, all the platforms, uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, will be compelled to invest if they target member states, uh, member states, so EU member states, for example, which means that for, for France, Netflix will have, so it is the latest information we got from our government, should invest 50% of the turnover generated in France in the French cinema industry. But all these measures are emergency measures because this unfair competition market, which we already knew, but which was not so enhanced, is now obvious because if you don't have uh, a place on this platform markets as a, as a creator you get no possibility to have your funds 
you, you people. Uh, uh, yes, so uh, that is uh, all the business model is changing right now. Yes, I think That's we're all seeing. To see how it will work. <laughs> I, I, I think it is. Um, I think it is. I think we're all seeing a lot of changes and, and a lot of similar things, uh, you know, here, you know, because I mean, we have certainly you want to keep, as you mentioned, Marion, you know, we have the fans that are part of sports, but we, you know, the different sports, you know, whether it's the governing bodies or um, the platforms of the teams, you know, they want to keep their fans in, in their spot and, and not lose them to another spot sometimes you know one of the reasons we would have different seasons you know whether it's you know, here if it's baseball or if it's basketball or if it's hockey etc and some of them overlap so you know one i think i think you know in, it's, it's helping mitigate economic by keeping the fans involved and if those fans are involved with 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 online even with these reruns i mentioned where they're they're rerunning you know some some famous games or some famous matches etc um and and i know my my my, my children have been watching many soccer games from, from way in the past. So, you know, I think it still keeps them involved. Maybe they're still buying merchandise. Maybe there's, maybe the sponsors are still getting, um, you know, some value. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, we've had in, in the U S we've had some government, um, government yeah, subsidies and programs and everything, because let's face it, you know, with, with sports, especially large sporting events, um, there's, it's, it's a trickle down. There's effect on hotel revenue. There's effect on restaurant revenue. There's effect mm, yeah. on transportation revenue. <laughs> you know, it, it all, it all, cause a lot of times people travel for, for, for these events and we're seeing it you know, globally. So, you know, I think it's, it's just trying to mm. just stay afloat. Um, you know, keep, keep everything going until things start to, you know, open back up and, and we're, you know, different parts of the U S are, are, are starting that slowly. Just maybe one one thing uh, on this because we have now uh, facing some proceedings bef before our courts concerning the insurances mm -hmm. when everything is cancelled and there has been last week um, the commercial court of Paris rendered a judgment compelling uh, condemning an insurance. Uh, to recover the loss of profits because of the lockdown period. Mm -hmm. And there are many proceedings pending, so which means that we will see how so the insurance market will react on this because the French courts are willing to make the insurances pay for the loss of profit generated by the cancellation of most of events. And uh, on this issue, so the professionals and the operators fear that's for the future, the insurance will be huge if they are compelled now because of the decisions rendered to, uh, to pay and to cover this pandemic risk. So that is uh, something which is uh, under discussions before the courts. And we will see how it, uh, how it works. But we have already a decision now uh, condemning insurance insurances mm -hmm. and we're seeing very similar here with um, you know our, our at, at my firm our insurance group has been very busy you know we're seeing it from the insurance side and you know in my practice my other practice in, in the bankruptcy side we're seeing more bankruptcies you know where companies are filing you know, for protection um, you know because maybe they can't pay their loans or you know to stop obligations of their contracts um, Amelia are you seeing insurance issues or other similar issues in Australia 
our insurance team is similarly very, very busy. Um, so I think there's certainly uh, an effect and, and one interesting observation that, that um, one of the partners made to me when we were talking about this is in any kind of um, economic downturn, for whatever reason, uh, an insurance practice is generally busier. Perhaps in part because there, you know, there is particular insurance cover for what's occurred, and, and that's obviously the pandemic insurance that Marion was referring to. But also because people, when they, um, you know, lose their jobs or have reduced hours and, and reduced income, um, are then reactivating claims that, you know, had been dormant for some time. Uh, it seems to to motivate individuals and probably lawyers involved to you know, bring them back on and, and, and to, to reinvigorate the pursuit of them. So it, I, I think it's not just an effect in the, the direct um, pandemic type insurance, uh, but, but a much broader uh, impact on insurance. Um, and obviously that, that does lead to questions about what might occur later in terms of um, premiums. Uh, I think in specifically uh, in relation to pandemic insurance in Australia, not very many sports would have had that kind of cover. Uh, I was joining a, um, a session, a, a webinar session two nights ago, and um, one of the, the, the Tennis Australia who runs the Australian Open, they were, they were talking about the fact that they had pandemic insurance, so that had, had certainly uh, put them in a far different position from what they would have been if they, if they didn't have it. But I'd say that that's a small uh, minority in terms of uh, the type, that type of insurance cover in Australia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, as we kind of get closer to, to, to the end of our time, there's kind of two more main subjects I wanted to, to, to raise. And I think the one thing is, is that, you know, maybe if we could all share what we've seen with, whether in sports or entertainment, you know, some creative, um, you know, whether it's online streaming concerts or social media or, 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 or other examples. Um, so, um, so Marion, I'll start with you. What have you seen in the, in, in your, in your practice that, you know, has kind of caught your eye as being very creative? Um, so, so, um, creative, uh for from our clients uh, have not today the, the main issue is uh, the negotiations so with, with platforms so it is not really uh, new the, the discussions that we have are the same uh, the fact that we don't want the exclusivity to uh, to license the exclusive rights so the, the things which has changed, it is the governmental measures and the intervention of the uh, competition authority, which, which now is on our side when we are facing such negotiations. That is the main change. But for the rest, uh, we already knew the issues, and, uh, but now there are, um, yes, national authorities we ha which are ready to intervene in the contracts, which is quite unusual because we are all lawyers, jurists, and we know that the contract is just uh, two willing persons so trying to find a settlement. Now, the negotiations will be 
uh, in a way, um, survey, uh, how do you say? Um, you have an authority which will have an eye on it. And I, I mentioned last week we got this um, uh, decision from the competition authority in France concerning um, a negotiations between Google and publishers. Because today it's very difficult, for example, to get any newspaper on paper because uh, we have problems with deliveries. So for all the newspapers, it's important to, uh, to have an access on internet and most of the time, everybody is using Google. So it's important for them to be on the first page, the famous first page. And uh, Google said, we will pay nothing because they use the extracts, you know, of some articles and they said, no, nothing. And if you want to be paid, we will not show you on the first page. You will not be on the first page. So the publishers uh, filed a claim against the competition authority. And last week, the competition authority said it is unfair. And now uh, they forced Google on the negotiations to um, to, uh, to propose something fair with a fair remuneration and not uh, only saying no, because we know that now this research process uh, system is necessary to get access to anything. So that is in this way that things are changing. Thank you. Um, Amelia, what have you seen, um, you know, kind of in the lockdown of, of, of uh, different things or creative things that, that have been happening, you know, online or, or in the industry? Uh, yeah, so a few examples. Um, the V8 Supercars over here ran an E-Series um, where they used simulators uh, to, to have a, an ongoing championship series uh, with the, the drivers who would ordinarily be driving in the real life races. Um, and that that, they were probably the first to get that up uh, in Australia. So that was um, really, I guess, at the forefront and, and there's a lot of talk about, about that. Um, and, I, and I've heard that um, they will look to continue that in a, in a, you know, in a way, I mean, in addition to their, to their um, real <laughs> racing program, um, but they'll look, to, because it was so successful, they'll look to have a, a virtual racing program as well. Um, the other thing that's really exploded in Australia is um, online fitness type programs. So, um, you know, providing opportunities for everyday people in the community who um, you know, are no longer in fitness centres or, or no longer able to, to play the sport that they used to. Um, so, one example is a, one of the leisure centres that we work with uh, set up all of their workout classes online and um, initially and, and at the moment everything was free to really uh, just provide an opportunity for anyone in the public so you didn't just have to be a member of the fitness center but anyone um, in the public to use that that program to, to take classes um, but what they will do and what they intend to do is when the fitness center opens again then they'll turn it into a, a product where people pay for that and uh, they've had a huge amount of use of it, a huge amount of take up. Um, so they're really seeing this as an opportunity to, to drive a new revenue stream. And, and I think to do that much more quickly than would have occurred if they had, uh, had if they'd introduced that alongside their, their, um, their, their 
physical uh, fitness centre. Uh, so, and I think as a consumer, from a consumer perspective, there'll be a, a lot more continued use of those kind of digital opportunities. Um, similarly, some of the, the sport governing bodies have, um, have, I guess, bolstered existing programs. So Netball Australia had, had the NetFit program, which was online um, workshops and, and um, programs for netballers. Um, and that's, it existed before, but has really taken off um, because, you know, so many people in the community are looking for ways to, to get their fitness and to engage with their sport um, in, in times where they really can't do that how they traditionally did so. Um, so what's been interesting is, is a lot of use of the word opportunity. Governing bodies, you know, on, in, in some ways are scrambling to, to, to stay connected to, you know, generate some revenue to continue to, to function at a most basic level. But in, in other ways, they're really um, taking the opportunity to pivot, taking the opportunity to create or enhance programs that existed and really capture um, what's quite a captive market in that uh, community space. Um, and, and so uh, I think what we'll see coming out of it is, is a, an increased um, revenue stream and increased use of that by consumers, um, which really hastens um, what Australian sports governing bodies have been talking about, how to, to create consumer products for how people like to consume sport now, which is very different from the traditional Saturday sport um, ideas that, that were really entrenched in our, in the way that we participated in sport in Australia. So there's been lots of uh, exciting and, and hurried um, examples, um, but I think that they do create opportunities for, for future programs that will that be with us for a long time yet. No, I, I would I would agree I would agree with both uh, you may and, and Mary and the different things that we're seeing. Um, you know, I see. You know, the online fitness is a big thing. It's, I've participated in in that, and you can't buy any weights. It's really tough to get weights. Yes. Weights <laughs> very, or, or mats. <laughs> very tough. Exactly. Very tough. Um, you know, I see some of my kids. You know, their their soccer coaches doing you know you know virtual trainings. Um, you know, one on one and 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 in, in groups, um, and you know. You know, we've had we've had some of the similar virtual racing and some of the series here that that you mentioned, Amelia. You know, um, you know, about a month ago, one of the most interesting things I saw is 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 you know, different concerts or different programs in which you know bands would get together and they would stream from four or five of their homes. You know, all coming together, playing their individual instruments in their homes, and you know, the singer singing in his home or her home, and and all doing that. So. And, and, and it coming together, which I just thought was was one very creative and and at a level of um, you know technology technology that that was pretty stunning. So you know I, I and I agree. I think a lot of the things that we're seeing now we would not have seen it anywhere near the level that we're seeing it now because you know it became one it became a necessity since you know globally that we're we're all you know quarantined or locked down, et cetera. And I do think that there's going to be uh, big shift, you know, uh, I still think there are going to be, you know, brick and mortar and you're going to go somewhere because let's face it, especially in the beginning, we're all going to want to get out of the house. But also, um, you know, I think it's going to allow us to maybe streamline, you know, how we do things and, 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 and you know, doing things, um, you know, in your home. So I think that, um, you know, if we can look positively, 
to the extent we can, you know, there could be some, some different, you know, positive changes that, that, that come out. So, um, well, I'd like to kind of end with a last question for everybody. And that is kind of now looking at our, putting on our, our, our lawyer hats, how, I guess, I'll, uh, and, I'll, and I'll start, um, I'll start with, with you, Amelia, this time. Um, what I'd like to ask of, of everybody is, you know, maybe just one or two legal issues, legal points for, for our viewers that they should be thinking of or they should be spotting, you know, now and in the future concerning sport and entertainment for clients or they should be asking their colleagues in this area or asking any of us. Um, our, our contact information will be available. So what would you say that you're, you've seen or seeing or you're thinking in the future, um, you know, for legal items that people should be aware of? Uh, look, I think in the, the short term, we've never dealt so much with contractual challenges. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but honestly, I've, I've never spent so much time looking at force majeure clauses in my life. Um, but I think it's really, you know, that, that has a short-term impact and you can advise on, on um, the existing contracts. But I think it really reminds us about the importance of um, planning for unexpected occurrences in the future. Um, hopefully not another pandemic, but, but no one had ever really considered this as a serious issue uh, when you were planning uh, a, a commercial relationship. So, um, I think that's one key focus is to be looking at um, how can this best plan for the unexpected um, and, and um, setting up both parties to do that in a way that will continue to maintain a strong relationship into the future through partly through the contract and partly through the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the other answer is a little bit left field in that um, I find we're most effective when we are um, working with our clients, understanding what they're experiencing, understanding what's going on in the industry, um, and helping them find a, a people and culture solution. So helping connect them with the right people. Uh, I think it's really important for, for lawyers. I think the days of us just you know, drafting and then advising on a document are, are, are long gone, and we can play a really important role um, sharing our observations about what's going on in the industry, but also connecting them with experts or connecting them with other sports who have similar experiences and might be looking for a, a solution that they can find together, um, that they might be able to work on together. And I think the more that we're doing that, the more that we're working to help facilitate solutions, then um, we'll have a stronger understanding of the business and industry and, and their environment which then puts us, you know, full circle in a really strong position to assist with the legal issues. And there will always be legal issues. Um, so I don't think it's a matter of, of choosing one over the other, uh, but I think the, the most helpful we can be and, and um, the greatest contribution we can make is to, to really understand their business, understand their challenges and opportunities and help facilitate solutions. Thank you. Um, Marion, what would your you know, legal points be that everybody should be thinking of what you're saying? I agree with what Amelia said because for the media, so most um, particularly for 
what we are dealing with uh, in my uh, department is the films and the conservations of films uh, usually so we we used to apply only ip laws because it was really the main main uh, subject and now we have really to uh, to understand the entire business model to have more uh, appraisal of the market to uh, calculate the market shares to make more competition low as before so and we have really to uh, to have this broad uh, view on this market to help to assist our clients that is in this way that uh, things are changing with what happened yeah. yeah. Thank you, and I and I would agree with with what you said, Amelia, and you said, Marion, as 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 well. Um, you know, I think I don't think it's I don't think it was left field, Amelia. I've I've always looked at what I do, especially in the sports or the racing area, as putting people together. As you said, there's always going to be legal work, and but being I think being a true partner to your client, understanding their business, um, helping them meet. Uh, somebody who maybe be a co-sponsor in something, uh, helping them meet somebody that has you know, similar business or different business models, but coming together makes sense, is part of what we do as, as lawyers and counselors is to help our, our clients um, and, and understand their business. So I think that's very important. I think clients remember that and it allows us to build, build those trusting relationships with them that, that we're not just doing their contracts. We're not just litigating their issues when, when they're having a problem, but we're helping them expand and grow their business. And I think that's something that, that creates that great partnership. Um, uh, my other, my other two points I had in, in my notes were, you know, is now that we've had all this online content and Mary, and this goes to a lot of what you were saying in, 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 the, in the film and cinema industry is protecting your online assets you know a lot of new and creative things have come out and they're going to be out there and once to, you know once something's on the web it's always there so um i think it's, it's protecting that and there's you know that's going to be important you know and lastly one of the things is that that recently came up for me is you know i do a lot of sponsorship agreements and i work with a lot of a lot of on the sponsor side and you know in sponsorship agreements you're looking to see okay are you getting the assets that you're you're bargaining for are you getting your hospitality? Are you getting your placement or paint on the car, for example? Are you getting your appearances by the drivers or the, or the athletes? And, and now, you know, some of that had a shift. And, you know, you're, you're right. And, you know, force majeure sometimes was a clause in a contract that was probably overlooked more often than not. And now has become very relevant. So I think one of the things is, is thinking about, okay, well, what's next? You know, what happens if I'm preparing a contract now? What happens if an event that we're looking to sponsor in six months goes forth without fans? Well, if there's no fans, what portion of the benefit of your bargain is, is adversely affected by not having fans, by not having the viewing of people there, by not being able, not having the hospitality, not being able to bring the people that you want it to bring? So I think it's it's thinking outside of the box on that and 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 then building in provisions in your in your agreement so that you can monetize that. Okay, well if this happens, then it's this, and if this mm. happens, it's that. Because I think one of the things, the best things that we can do as lawyers is is counsel and create agreements. So hopefully you never end up litigating. It happens. You know, just litigation happens. But to the extent that we can prepare agreements that you know, that's I think that's important. So, and I, I agree with you, and I think there's been a lot of um, 
sponsors and and uh, leagues and governing bodies working together to recognising that that some of the benefits can't be delivered now. But instead of that becoming a dispute, really looking at well, what alternative benefits you know could be exchanged, or can we defer um, you know the the end of the the sponsorship agreement so that it actually covers the next season, but then you'll get these other benefits as well. And I think um, people for the most part in those negotiations are all looking for solutions. Um, and it's probably partly about the times that we're in, but it's also testament to the relationships they've built. And, and um, you know, if you, I've always said that a contract is, its most important role is to um, make sure that you're on the same page that you're not having a dispute. So if you can address all of those issues at the start when you're good friends and you both want it to work, then you'll be able to, and, that'll help maintain that relationship. And, and at the other end, when unexpected happens, um, you're in a really strong position to find a different solution. People are being really creative about that. Exactly. Um, maybe, so uh, for, in France, what um, is going on for the contracts because of the cancellations of events, uh, we have um, a legal supervision in our Code Civil who say that if there is a very big change in the contract because of an event, for worth risk, nobody accepted the risk. Either both parties didn't know about the risk, they did not accept this risk. Then both parties have to renegotiate the contract. If they don't um, find any solution, then the judge can either rescind the contract or change himself the contract. So in France, every operators are, are so afraid that the judge could readjust and redraft the contract that we try really to find a solution to escape the possibility for a judge to say, oh, I think it is the best solution for both of you without knowing about the business, without having any. So we fear this issue because of this legal provision that we know and which is provided in the Code Civil. That is why, you know, it leads the parties to find, to find a solution to rebalance the contract because of this risk that nobody, nobody accepted because we, we didn't know. No, that's exactly right. You know, sometimes, Sometimes it's better to negotiate than, than take yeah. a risk that a court is going to, to do something that you, 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 nobody contemplated. So, yeah. um, well, um, I, uh, Amelia and, and Marion, I'd like to, to thank you for you know, us all getting together at different time zones around, around the world. And I think this has been a great presentation. I'm hoping that our, I'm hoping anybody who's viewing this um, finds value. You know, please, anybody viewing this, if you have questions for Amelia, Marion, or, or myself, um, please uh, feel free to, to reach out to us. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, introducing our clients, uh, you know, to each other, you know, as, as they have issues throughout, throughout the world and different practice areas is, is, is very important so that we can provide the best, the best service. So um, thank you. Thank you again to uh, Amelia and Marion. And, thank you. Um, thank you.